and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. We continue this series that we kicked off uh, last week called Guardrails and uh, just some practical bits of wisdom for life, for navigating life, um, for navigating life safely, for coming out just kind of the other side of circumstances with with less regrets. Can I hear an amen from somebody who wants fewer regrets in life? Yeah, that's that's something that we all should aim for. So um, there's just a lot of practical wisdom in here, and um, I, I, I you know I, I think again at some point I need to maybe develop a series on wisdom, and <laughs> that would put me in a very uh, making a very big claim about myself, I guess, uh, if I was able to teach on wisdom. Maybe we should ask somebody else to teach on wisdom, um, but <laughs> nobody said amen. Thank you. That was, thank you. Uh, but just there's a lot to the idea of wisdom, and, and, and so this is some wisdom that we're going to share. And of course, wisdom is kind of what we use when we don't necessarily know what is right or what is wrong. We need to know how to navigate that gray area. How do we navigate that fuzzy space? And that's where wisdom kind of fills in that gap. So we're doing this series called Guardrails. Um, I love the dynamic of this series. It's a study that actually I didn't come up with. This is somebody else's study. Um, but this, this, is, this wisdom here is just so practical and, and so beautiful. And we've actually tied it in with our small group experience for this semester. And so, you know, if you like kind of the material that's happening on Sunday, on Thursday nights and on Friday nights, we actually have small groups that meet, um, and they kind of talk through the material, talk through the application of it, what it might look like lived out, and you get to share some with that, talk with each other, discuss with each other, answer questions with each other, and kind of flesh it out a little bit more. So again, there's another plug for our small groups, but I, I, I like this material, I love this material, and what it has to offer us. And today we have, or we're kicking off lesson two, and, and going into lesson two, we're just going to do a tiny bit of, of review on guardrails and the idea behind this series. And first of all, what are guardrails? And of course, the definition for guardrails is, it's this system, and I really like that. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And really, guardrails kind of serve two different purposes, and that is they they actually direct and protect, and I missed that slide out of here. Everybody say they direct and protect. All right, there's a slide right up there. Um, but here's one more important thing to know about guardrails is that guardrails are designed to minimize damage. When you run into a guardrail, when you bump into a guardrail with your vehicle, you're going to have to take it to the body shop, but you probably won't have to go to the morgue. So that's all right. And, and you know, it, it's designed to minimize the amount of damage that's going to happen if you were to drive where that guardrail did not exist and actually go over the edge. And guardrails are never actually placed in the danger zone. Guardrails are actually always placed a little bit into the safe area, aren't they? Guardrails don't exist over the cliff. They exist before the cliff. They're not over the edge of the bridge. They're on the bridge where there's still a little bit of safe area to drive on there. And nobody actually argues with that. That's kind of the smart way to set things up, right? Nobody in our culture, nobody in our society argues with the wisdom of placing physical barriers, barriers inside the safe zone so that nobody drives out of the safe zone and gets hurt. But what's interesting is as we take this as a metaphor for life, and setting up guardrails in the safe zones of life, culture kind of has this idea where they, they push back a little bit against guardrails. And the guardrail, you know, culture, it, it doesn't really, you know, encourage guardrails in life. In fact, culture is very much comfortable with simple painted lines when it comes to navigating life. 
But how many of us know, and you know, I'm sure if we kind of pulled the room, all, all or most of us would agree that our greatest regrets in life could have and would have been avoided if we had had some guardrails in different areas of life. If we had had some financial guardrails, if we had had some moral guardrails, some relationship guardrails, or maybe even some professional guardrails, we could have avoided some of the big regrets in life. But here's the thing about guardrails and why culture kind of doesn't like them and why culture pushes back about, uh, you know, against them. It's something that we all know, and that is that none of us like being told what to do, Right? Nobody likes being told what to do. You don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. And what happens sometimes with guardrails is when you set up a personal guardrail and then you share that with someone or you kind of, you know, you, you, you're close to someone, they find out about this, this guardrail that you have for yourself, this rule that you have for yourself, other people can sometimes take that or perceive that as being judgmental or being kind of outdated, or being uptight, or any of those kinds of things. And so culture, in general, will kind of push back against the ideas of having, against the idea of having personal guardrails. The popular culture, the prevailing voices of the day, a lot of times they seem to mock or to try and shame people who have these personal guardrails in their lives. But on the flip side, and we talked about this a little bit last week, on the flip side, culture seems to shame and to mock people who didn't have guardrails, but who end up going off the edge of a cliff. Whether it's people ending up in financial ruin, whether it's people ending up you know, with substance abuse, or maybe in second and third marriages, or maybe in issues with children, or some kind of professional disaster, culture doesn't seem to have any leeway for them either. And there's stigmas placed on people with these, you know, these, these issues that they come out of because there were no guardrails in place, and they went off the edge in a certain area in life. And so this is a hugely important to talk about. This is a big thing to kind of go through, but we have to recognize when it comes to guardrails, guardrails, that we are dealing in terms of wisdom. We are not dealing in terms of of rules. This is not about categories of right versus wrong. Guardrails have to do with the idea of wisdom. And when it comes to wisdom, we're talking about things that are not always black and white. Sometimes things are gray. Sometimes things are a little bit fuzzy. And you might say, well, Jared, that sounds like, you know, you're trying to be a little bit soft and squishy with your speech and You know, like you're saying, there's room for personal interpretation and application when it comes to this stuff, and to which I would say to you, yes, that's exactly exactly what I'm saying. We all have different tendencies, and those tendencies are not shared with everybody else. You have things that trip you up that don't trip me up. I have things that trip me up that won't trip you up. And so guardrails are personal. Guardrails are for each of us as we navigate life and, you know, on the path that God has laid out to us. And so this is really important to talk about. This is vital. This is, this is critical to following Jesus and kind of navigating life safely. It's, it's so important that you think through these things for yourself, that you recognize your own needs and your own weaknesses and navigate safely from there. And so today... Or over the next you know, few lessons of, the, of this series, we're going to talk about guardrails in different areas of life. And today, we're actually going to talk about guardrails in terms of our friends and associates. And um, yeah, there you go. So we're going to talk about guardrails in terms of the people that you work with, to, in terms of the people that you, you maybe play with or hang out with, the people who are part of your life, the people who are part of your circle, you know, your influencers in your life. And this is going to sound judgmental today. 
I'm just going to put that out there at the front, all right? This is going to sound judgmental, but listen to me. This is not about being judgmental. The goal of today is for us to use good judgment. I don't want you to be judgmental. I want you to use good judgment. And here's the difference. When you're judgmental with someone, or if I'm judgmental with someone, it means that I know what's best for you in spite of what you might think is best for you. That I know what you should do and what you should not do, and you really don't know what you should do or should not do. And so you should listen to me because I am a judge over your actions. I am a judge over your choices, and I condemn your current self. I condemn your current actions, and I tell you that you should do things my way, and you should become someone who I think you should be. But good judgment, good judgment isn't about you at all. Good judgment is about me. Good judgment is about me drawing conclusions about my own self and my own life and my own thoughts and my own actions. It's it's that thing that we talked about last week. In light of my past experiences, in light of how I was raised or maybe how I wasn't raised or the habits I formed or the circumstances that kind of produced X, Y, and Z in my life, what needs to come to existence in me? In light of my current circumstances... I know I'm angry right now. I know I'm hungry right now. I know I'm a little bit hangry right now. I just broke up, or I'm broke, or I'm unemployed, or I'm alone. In light of my future hopes, what I need out of life, what what needs exist in my soul, what I am aiming for, the thing that I am hoping becomes my reality. In light of my past, my present, and my future, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? It's not about you. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not trying to twist you or make you into someone that you're not. This is about me, my life, my needs, my experiences, my hopes. And so, hey, as I kind of navigate all this space, and I don't really have a black or white kind of decision to make in front of me. It's a little bit gray. It's a little bit fuzzy. You know, I decide for myself that I can't be in that circle of friends anymore, maybe, or I can't give those people access to be influencers in my life anymore, not because of them, but because of me, because of what I've struggled with, what I've wrestled with, what I've come to need, all right? Somebody say this with me. It's not you. There you go. Sounds like some of y'all have said that before. All right, so now you probably remember this from another angle when you're growing up, right? Whoever raised you cared a lot about the people that you spent time with, didn't they? They wanted to know who they were. They wanted to know who their parents were. Where do they live, right? What's going on in their life? And how can they only be 13 if they have a mustache? And, you know, she's not that pretty anyway, you know. And they told you you couldn't hang out with some people, and you couldn't go over so-and-so's house, and you certainly couldn't spend the night. And, and that would make you mad, wouldn't it? Remember when you were 14 and you knew everything like that? That would make you so mad, and you'd get into fights, and then you'd get grounded for talking back. But now, now you're the parent, and now you care very much who your baby girl is hanging out with. You care very much, moms, about what little girl is trying to make eyes at your little man. You want to know why? Because you remember you. Come on, dads, you know, you know, you don't want little boys looking at your daughter because you remember how you used to look at someone else's daughter. Can I hear an amen from some men in the house? 
Yeah. My dad didn't have any daughters. That's weird. I'll tell you what, man. Get that shotgun out. Keep it clean. Mm. There you go. I remember a story. This isn't in my nose. I remember a story. Was, remember uh, Leon Washington? He went to, he, he, he was a little bit older, and he, if I remember right, this is actually Leon's story. He found a girlfriend, and in, in I think it was in Richmond, and he went to meet or pick her up for a first date or something like that, and her dad answered the door and invited him into the house and sat him down on the couch and said, she's in the back finishing up getting ready, but sit down. I want to talk to you for a little bit. And he interviewed Leon while he was cleaning a shotgun in the living room. Yeah, yeah, that really happened. That's some great advice. I think I'm going to do that. So JL, is JL in here? No? All right. When she goes on her first date at 32 years old, I'm going to invite that young man in the house. But parents nowadays, I mean, you know this. You care who your kids hang out with. How many parents in the room, and we're going to actually, let's, let's take a show of hands. How many parents in the room, it's not you, but you know another parent who has a fake social media account so you can stalk your kids? No? You don't want to raise your hands? <laughs> I do. I know some. I do. I know some other parents. How many of you know another parent who stalks their kids' friends on social media? Yeah, there's some hands going up all over the room, right? And why? Why do you do it? It's not so you can tell other people how to raise their kids. You can't tell them that, right? You're just trying to help your kids develop good judgment and have good character for themselves. So it's not about being judgmental. It's about using good judgment. And here's why parents care about this so much. Here's why this is such a big deal, because parents know this truth right here, that our friends determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Friendships determine the direction and the quality of our lives. And you see this as kids get into high school a lot, right? They, they come into high school and they're not really associated with any, you know, particular people group or, you know, group at high school. And then suddenly, you're, you know, your boy comes home with a letterman jacket and he signed up for football, right? He's five foot seven and weighs 105 pounds and he signed up for football. Why? Because somebody on the football team took him in. This is why you have all the, the different groups at schools, and, and they all attract different people, right? We know this, that your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. And this is one of the things that makes friendships so marvelous, but this is one of the things that makes friendships so dangerous at the very same time. And, you know, it, it, when you're with somebody that's a friend, it's just easy to be with that person. It's easy to be with those people. It's relaxing, right? And, and what happens when you're with your friends is that you drop your guard. You let your guard down. And here's the thing. You're supposed to. That's why they're your friends, and with some people, that's a very safe thing to do. But with other people, that's a very dangerous thing to do because your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. That's not a good thing or a bad thing. That's just a thing. That's how friendships work. That's how relationships work. We crave acceptance. We all want to fit in somewhere. We all want to belong somewhere and have a tribe somewhere. And since we crave this, sometimes we will venture into dangerous territory to find it. And that's why we need to be on guard. Or we might say in kind of, you know, sticking with the lingo of this series, that's why we need guardrails when it comes to our friends 
and our associates. And in the author of the study, I love, you know, he brought up this, this other study that has been done by some neuroscientists, some hugely important, as it relates to this stuff, some hugely important fire, uh, findings. And neuroscience is absolutely fascinating to me. I, I, I don't study it enough. I don't have enough time to get into it. I mean, I just, but how the brain works, the way it does, it's just absolutely fascinating to me. And years ago, I read a book called uh, Phantoms in the Brain. Um, it's by Dr., and I know I'm going to butcher his name, Dr. Ramachandran out of San Diego. Um, there's another famous, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> Don't laugh, Ruthie. It's just a, how you say his name, Ruthie Garcia. You know? So, like, it's just <laughs> Merlos, hyphen Merlos. Yeah, got to put that on there. There we go. So anyway, Dr. Ramachandran, I think that's where she's going. And, and, and then there's another neuroscientist named Oliver Stacks. He had a book that came out, A Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. And like these are actual things that happened, actual case studies that went on. There was one story um, they told. I was just sharing this with RC the other day. There was a young man who was uh, driving, he was just like early 20s, late teens, something like that, driving, got into a horrible car accident, and, and came away with a very serious head injury. And, and uh, you know, after he kind of recovered and gone home and everything, everything seemed to be okay. He was kind of recovering, going through some rehab. But then this strange thing started happening where he started, you know, asking to see a counselor and telling a counselor, my parents are actually imposters. It's like, what do you mean your parents are imposters? And then he started telling anybody who would listen to him, my parents aren't really my parents. My parents are imposters. There's a couple living in our home, and they're pretending to be my mom and my dad. And everybody's thinking, well, man, this, this poor guy, he's, he's gone crazy. You know, he's, he's kind of, you know, drifting out there. And, 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 and then what, what really became fascinating about it is when he saw them and interacted with them in person, face-to-face, he thought they were imposters. But when he would speak to them on the phone... He would think they were his real parents. Mom, mom, where are you? Where have you been? Dad, where are you? Where have you been? There's people living in our house, and they're pretending to be you. Why don't you come home? Why won't you be? And this is so fascinating to me. What they found out, the poor guy, and he kind of was in treatment at the time the book was being written, and I'm hoping they found help for him. But what had happened is you have different centers of your brain. So one of them is like the, 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 the visual part of your brain. And as it sees faces, it actually is able to say, I know that face. And that face is so-and-so. That face is Jason. That face is JL. That face is somebody. I know them. And then there's this pathway from the recognition part of your brain to the emotional center of your brain. I know JL, and I feel love. I know Jason, and I feel horror. Like all of these emotions are, are tied <clears throat> when you see people's faces, right? And, and this is what happens. Well, what had happened is in the accident... The pathway, that was a good one, the pathway between the visual recognition center and the emotional center had been severed. And so when he would see his parents, his brain would tell him, I recognize them, but I don't feel anything for them. And so his brain, the only way his brain could kind of come to grips with that reality was to say, these aren't really my parents. But what was interesting is from the, the, the auditory portion of the brain, when he would hear their voices, that pathway to the emotional center was still intact. And so when he would hear their voices, he would still feel love for them when he would hear them. And so that's why on the phone, he knew that was his real mom, that was his real dad. And the brain is just fascinating. It's so intricate and so fragile. And that was just, a, I just had to share that because that story, this stuff is amazing to me. So neuroscience, 
back to the lesson. Neuroscience loosely studies just kind of how the brain is set up and how the brain works and how the brain, you know, kind of makes connections and relates our perceived world with our kind of behaved and experienced world. And, and, and there's a, a neuroscientist named Moran Cerf who had this to say about people that you hang around with. He said, the more that we study engagement, we see time and again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. So look to your left. <laughs> look to your right. There you go. You're a little bit more like them. You're going to leave. Just being in this room, just being in a small group, if you're kind of open to the group experience, you actually begin to fall into a little bit by a little, a progressively increasing bit of brain alignment with the people that are around you. And this is why this is so important, because you're not choosing for this to happen. It is happening whether you want it to happen or not. This is not behavioral. This is neurological. It's just how your brain works without any conscious effort on your part at all. Now, that's fascinating, and that's frightening, isn't it? And he goes on, and he talks about this. If people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, somebody say, that's me. They, all right. Uh, they should build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. Why? Because as you surround yourselves with people who are the kind of people that you want to be or be like, you don't even have to do anything. Just by being close to them, your brain and your ways of thinking and your ways of perceiving and seeing and dealing with the world will actually begin to line up and fall into alignment with their brain patterns. And he goes on and he says this, over time, you will naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors, which again, sounds great, but it also sounds extremely dangerous because with no effort, you can also pick up on undesirable attitudes and behaviors. So just being around people. Just hanging out with certain people. You will find yourself moving along in a certain direction with the people around you who are moving in that certain direction. Now, is that judgmental? No, it's not judgmental. It's just true. And if this happens automatically with no conscious effort on your part, what should you do about that? If this is actually true from a neuroscientist, and as we're going to see from the Bible as well, if that's actually true, what should your response be to this? Because at least a portion of your future or your future influence hangs in the balance of the people that you surround yourself with. Now, three years before Moran Surf came along, there was another man who took his wife, you know, not just the man who mistook his wife for a hat, there was another man who mistook another man's wife for his own. And that was King David. He was the second king of Israel. Anybody remember King David? And one day David had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And David and Bathsheba eventually had a son together named Solomon. And he became Israel's third king, succeeded his father David to the, the throne of Israel. And Solomon is thought to be the wisest man who ever lived. And you probably, or maybe if you've heard that story of Solomon and the, the two women who came to him for judgment because there was one baby between them. One baby had died, and there was another baby that was still living, and both women were claiming the other woman's baby had died, and the one that was alive was really their baby. And then nobody knew how to tell who the baby really belonged to, and so Solomon said, bring me a sword. And they brought him a sword, and he told the two women, you hold the baby there, and I'm going to cut the baby in half and give each of you a half of the baby. 
And of course, one of the women said, no, no, don't do that. Give the baby to the other woman. Let the baby live. And Solomon knew, you're the real mom. And he gave the baby to that. Isn't that smart? This is so smart. Solomon was so smart, except towards the end of his life when he had a bunch of wives and a bunch of those other things. So, yeah. So Solomon is writing about 3,000 years before Moran Surf. And Solomon said this, walk with the wise and become wise through no effort on your own. It's not hard at all. It's as easy as walking. And if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Give it time. The kind of person that you walk with is the kind of person you become. Well, what is a wise person? What does wisdom do? How come this person is considered to be wise? A wise person is one that we talked about last week that knows that my past is connected to my present, and everything I do in my present is going to have impact on my future. A wise person knows that there are consequences to our choices and consequences to our behaviors and our actions. And what Solomon is saying here is that wisdom is contagious. If you walk with wise people, you'll get some of it on you. So walk with the wise, and you'll become wise. And this is why he tells you, you should walk with the wise and become wise. Because, or for, a companion of fools suffers harm. So this is Solomon saying, do this, don't do that. And why don't we do that? And, and this word fool here, it's kind of a harsh word, right? We don't really use this, this word anymore. But in the Jewish scriptures, again, a fool was someone who never understood the connection between past, present, and future. The fool, a fool in, in Jewish scriptures, the one that only thinks about today. Someone who only thinks about the moment. Someone who only thinks about one night. Someone who only thinks or doesn't think at all about tomorrow. And notice what Solomon doesn't say. This is so fascinating to me. Solomon does not say that the companion of fools becomes a fool themselves. Solomon says it's actually worse than that. If you hang around with a fool, you don't even have to be a fool. You will get some of the consequences of their bad decisions on yourself. You don't have to be the one that does anything wrong, and you will still get hurt. You don't have to make a bad choice. You will still suffer a consequence. And some of you are thinking about that friend right now, aren't you? Right? Something going on in their life. And what happens? You're the one that has to bail them out. You're the one that has to be there. You're the one that has to help them clean up the mess. Can you, I got to thinking about this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if this was you know, the case in any other area of life? Like if you're on a diet. And you go to work and you sit in a cubicle next to a coworker that's eating a whole apple pie in one day, and you on your diet eating celery and kale, if you gain 10 pounds from them eating an apple pie, that'd be horrible. If you're sitting next to someone and they eat donuts every morning, and at the end of the week you gain another seven pounds because they ate donuts, what would you do pretty soon? Yeah, you'd start eating pie with them. Come on, y'all. I mean... No, over time, what would you do? You'd ask to move. I can't be around them anymore. I can't sit there anymore because it's affecting me to be close to them. I can't do that. You know, this is why your mom didn't want you hanging out with him. This is why your mom or your dad didn't want you hanging out with her. If you hang around with fools, you are going to get hurt. This is not about being judgmental. This is about using good judgment. And here's why. Because friends who aren't careful with their lives won't be careful with your life. Friends who aren't careful with their health won't be concerned about your health. 
friends who aren't careful with their marriage, won't be careful with yours, with their finances, won't be careful with yours, don't care about their reputation, won't be careful with yours, don't care about their faith, they won't care about your faith. Think about this. This is so important. Who you put in your life will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Friendship is amazing. Friendship is powerful. But those two statements can go two different ways. And that's why friendship requires some guardrails. And the point, the point of a guardrail is to get our attention before we veer into a danger zone. And so for the last little bit of today, and we're actually not going to be here too much longer today, but the last little bit of today, I want to, uh, the study here, guardrail, kind of takes us into five suggestions when it comes to kind of establishing guardrails for friendships. And I want to share those with you today, and then I'm going to let you go home. But again, these are not rules. These are not Christian sins and not sins. These aren't do rights, do wrongs, this kind of things. These are five suggestions from this series, five guardrails we're thinking maybe you might want to incorporate into your life. And again, what is it? What do we mean when we say a guardrail? These are kind of those internal nudges. These are kind of those things that those unsettling feelings that if you're, you know, in a situation or in a conversation, there's this uncomfortable little bump to your thinking, right? And you know, you ever thought that something was like one way and all was good, and then something suddenly as you're going on, there, there's something that kind of pops up. There's this detail that kind of gets your attention, makes you stop makes you pause. That's what we're looking for. And so five possible guardrails just to get you thinking about boundaries, especially when it comes to the people who are in the influential circles of your life. All right, so you guys ready to go? So number one, this guardrail, when it dawns on you that your core group isn't moving in the direction you want your life to be moving, that should be something that gets your attention. That should exist as a guardrail in your life. It's, it's, it's friends, right? It's people that you love hanging around with. You like the same music, the same hobbies, the same interests and pastimes. You like hanging out. But as you step back and you look at this core group of people that you hang around with and you look at the overall drift and, and direction of that group and there's something in you that goes, ah, that's a warning. It's a guardrail. It's something that should make you pause. It's not a right thing. It's not a wrong thing. It's a wisdom thing. It's something there to get you to pay attention. And here again is why it's so important, because when you're with these people, you let your guard down. And that's why they're your friends. But when your guard is down is when you're the most vulnerable. That's when your brain starts to fall into sync with the people that you are around and your thinking and your values start to fall into alignment with their thinking and with their values. And when you have that, ah, uh, kind of pause going on in your heart. Maybe you want to reconsider that group of friends or those associates. And maybe it's not even that you completely cut them out of your life, but maybe you decide that I'm going to now put that group of friends into a category where I don't let my guard down with them anymore. I don't let them influence me anymore. I don't let them lead my thinking or my thoughts anymore. Is that good? Number two, suggestion number two, when you catch yourself pretending to be someone other than who you really are, that should be a warning sign to you on the inside. If you've ever been in a conversation that kind of makes you really uncomfortable on the inside, maybe it kind of goes against something that you believe or you know, some, some kind of action limit that you have set for yourself, some kind of boundary that you have set for yourself. But for some reason, in the middle of that conversation, you kind of find yourself smiling and chuckling and maybe even kind of nodding in agreement 
When you feel pressure to, to compromise who you really are in order to kind of maintain a friendship, to, in order to maintain a relationship, that should be a red flag. That should be something that gets your attention and causes you to reevaluate the access in your life that you give to that relationship. And listen, this is so important to say. We're not up here trying to say, if you try and get rid of all these you know, relationships, that's the best course of action. Now, if you do that, you're going to end up in a bubble. You're going to end up living indoors, ordering DoorDash all day, and just never leaving the house and never associating with anybody. You don't have to necessarily cut off all of these relationships or conversations or associates or friends, but you need to consider how much access you give to certain groups of people. You need to reconsider whether or not you let your guard down around certain people and certain groups of people. And again, this is so important because friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. They determine the views and the values that will exist in your future, past, present, future. It is all tied together. So don't settle. Don't settle for friends who force you to pretend to be someone that you're really not or else you'll find yourself becoming someone that you're really not. Third suggestion for guardrails. When you feel pressure to compromise, and this is so important, not after you've compromised, but before you compromise, at the offer point, when something that wasn't even an option before, suddenly you find yourself wrestling with whether or not you're going to do this. You, you know, before you used to say, well, no thanks, I'm just going to head home. No thanks, guys, you go, go ahead and do that, I'll catch you tomorrow at work. No thanks, ladies, I'll see you tomorrow. But suddenly it's like, well, if they call me again, well, you know, if it was to happen on this Thursday or this Friday, maybe next time, that should get your attention. Now, what should you do about that? I don't know. You tell me. It's up to you. But does it have your attention before you have made that compromise? Does it have your attention when you're imagining ways to say yes the next time around? Now, here's another suggestion. When you catch yourself thinking, I'll go, but I won't participate. Hello? I'll smoke it, but I won't inhale. <laughs> you know. Right. So, <laughs> and, I, and I love this. There's instant clarity around this. Like, would you buy this from your teenager? Right? I'll go, but I won't participate. Dad, it's just me and, and a bunch of girls and nothing's going to happen. Well, have a good time, son. No, right? Mom, it's just a hangout at Joey's house because his parents are out of town. But all my friends will be there, and Joey's friends will be there, and I won't be doing any shady stuff. Well, sure, honey, do you need any money for pizza? No, you wouldn't do that. Hello. You're not going to let your teenage son or teenage daughter do that. If you wouldn't buy that from your son or daughter, if you wouldn't buy that from your niece or nephew, why would you buy it from yourself? Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't go, but it should have your attention. When it pops up in my head or your head, we should be careful. We should correct our steering. We should maybe back away from the edge and evaluate the path that stands or lays in front of us. Here's another suggestion. When you hope the people you care about don't know your whereabouts, that should be a guardrail. Even if you go there and do nothing wrong, 
You're going to go there and you're not going to break any rules. In your heart, in your mind, you've already begun the tale. You've already begun to fabricate the excuse. You haven't lied yet, but you don't want them to know and you don't want them to know who all is with you while you are there. This should get your attention, not because you've done anything wrong. You haven't yet. But because you have decided and you have established a guardrail, you are considering your future. You are considering where you hope you are going to get up or end up. And you are course correcting midstream. You're course correcting while you're still on the path and while you are still in the safety zone. If you hope people you care about don't find out your whereabouts, then maybe it should be a guardrail for you. Now, again, with these suggestions here, culture would tell you, who cares? Culture would tell you, you know, the friends that your mom wouldn't want you hanging around with would tell you, it's not a big deal. If they ask where you are, just tell them you're not doing something wrong. But something inside of you, there's a guardrail because you know you. You know your past. You know your circumstances. You know what you want your future to be. So pay, pay attention. So why? Why is this a thing? Why do we worry about this? Because it is a part of so many people's stories. People who have ended up in ruin, people who have made wrecks of their lives, it is a part of each and every one of their stories, and maybe it's a part of yours. And there are people who have woken up this very morning. There are people who will wake up tomorrow morning and not be able to look themselves in the eye in the mirror. They'll not be able to look back at who they woke up with. They're not going to be able to believe what they drank or how much they drank last night. And people this morning and probably every morning are waking up and asking themselves, how did this happen? How did I get here? How could I do that? And the answer is all the sa- always the same. You crossed over into dangerous territory where you did not have a guardrail in place. And the people that you allow into your life, the voices that you allow to influence your decisions and your behaviors and your weekends, hello, they will determine the direction and the quality of your life. It's true. It's true. You know Willie Nelson sang about this years ago? Yeah? Willie Nelson sang a song, said, last night I came in at two with a ten, but at ten I woke up with a two. Willie needed some guardrails. <laughs> Willie needs a lot of guardrails. <laughs> Poor Willie. All right, so it's why you and I need guardrails. We need boundaries with the people that we hang out with. We need boundaries to determine the people that we let our guard down with. We need to pay attention to those, those little pauses, those little checks in our thinking, those checks in our spirit, those noisemakers in our conscience before we go off the edge. Now, we're winding up today, but Jesus said something that just dovetails so perfectly into this. And it's a little more obscure when he said it. It's not, you know, one of his, his more famous sayings. You're not going to see this one on Facebook, you know, over a picture of a beautiful waterfall or anything. But when Jesus was on the planet, he was always having to argue and fight with people who wanted rules and yeses and noes and black and white and all of this. And, and Jesus was about wisdom and letting wisdom be a guide. He was wisdom personified. And, and while he's on the planet, he's always in discussions and always in arguments with these groups of people who are always arguing with him and in opposition with him. And one day, I, th- I think he kind of gets fed up. We don't know for sure. It doesn't really say in there. But I think he just he gets exasperated with him. And he just says something so simple. 
But it's so powerful. These people were never going to listen. They were never going to accept what he had to say. And he just, he just looks at them, and he just makes this statement right here. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. You guys want to do what you want to do? Go ahead and do it. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Wisdom is proved right by what is produced from a decision. Wisdom shows correct by where you end up. Wisdom is for when you're not dealing in absolutes, when you're not dealing in black and white, when things are a little bit fuzzy and a little bit gray. Wisdom will ultimately show who it is that navigated safely. And with these five suggestions that we gave today, listen, we could talk about these one-on-one. You can make an argument against them one-on-one. You could give me case after case and example and scenario after scenario and circumstances where these guardrails just don't work, where these guardrails might seem silly and might seem ridiculous, and, and this is just judgmental and old-fashioned, and you're just making people afraid and causing people to isolate themselves. Look, I get it. I understand what you're saying. And yeah, some people probably abuse these ideas, and, and, and you might even end up right, that some people end up isolating themselves. And you'd win an argument because wisdom isn't about dealing in absolutes. Wisdom is about all of the gray area in your life. And I'm telling you, the older I get, and man, 36 just snuck up on me, but the older I get, it's just, life's about gray area. It is. There's a lot of gray area to life. How many parents, like, understood this? Like, you know, you grow up thinking your parents know everything, and then Suddenly, you're a parent, and you realize, man, dad was guessing all along. Dad guessed right a lot. Mom guessed right a lot. I don't know about my kids' chances. We'll, we'll see. Wisdom is proved right by all her children, but, but wisdom is about the gray area. Wisdom is about setting up guardrails inside the safety zone. Wisdom isn't in the wreckage. Wisdom isn't in the danger area. Wisdom isn't over the cliff. Wisdom is before the cliff. Wisdom is before the wreckage. And wisdom might allow you to win the argument, but if you win that argument, you may end up losing in life. Because wisdom isn't about that. And that's what Jesus said. Wisdom isn't proven right in a courtroom. Wisdom isn't proven right in legal proceedings. It's not even proved right in an argument. Wisdom is proven right by the outcome. Come on, look. This isn't about you not caring for other people. This isn't about us being judgmental of other people. This isn't about producing judgmental, isolated Christians. There are a lot of other things I could say and teach if I wanted to produce judgmental and isolated Christians. This isn't about other people at all. It's about you. It's about me. It's about my future, and it's about your future. It's about your future marriage, and your future finances, and your future career, and your future friends. It's about you being available in your future to help those friends that never establish guardrails for themselves and end up making a wreck of their lives. This isn't about having less love for other people. This is rather how you show love to other people, by keeping yourself in a position to where when they end up with shipwreck and and wreckage in their life, that you are the one that can be there and reach a hand and help them up and bail them out and be there. Once the regrets start showing up, once the questions and the head in the hands, who better than you to love them in those moments? Who better than you to be there for them and shine hope for those people that just seem to have no hope anymore? Wisdom is proven right by all of her children. Walk with the wise. Become wise. Paul, we looked at last week, Paul talked about, be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, 
but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because time is limited and the forces around you are so evil. The days are evil that we live in. Anybody here need to put some guardrails up this morning? Can we all stand, in fact, in the room? Anybody here decide it's, it's time to, to have some, some guardrails in my life? This is, this is one of the reasons that we're just always going to be big on small groups. We're always going to ask people to go in big on small groups. Most of the time, you don't get to choose who you spend your time with. Most of the time, and a lot of your time, you rub elbows with people who don't share your values, who don't share your ways of thinking, who, whose lives may not be the kind of life that you eventually one day want to end up as. But as we've seen over time, they'll become your group. And eventually, if you allow them access into your life, they will influence who you are and who you become. But a small group in a Christian church, a small group of people that are trying to follow Jesus and flesh out the teachings of Jesus and walk like Jesus and navigate life according to the wisdom of Jesus, that's a way for you to actively take part in shaping the group of people who are ultimately going to shape who you become. It's a way for you to grab onto something practical. It's something you can do today. It's something you can do on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or whenever the group is, whenever the group meets that you sign up with and you be a part of. This is a way for you to become part of the kinds of people that you want to end up like. It's a way for you to shape your future. You need that. You need to get your heart and your mind in sync with other people who are following Jesus, other people who are valuing his values, who love like he loved, who walk and who talk like Jesus walked and talked like. Establish some guardrails in your life because either you'll be glad you did or one day you'll wish you had. You need to establish some guardrails in your life. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.